Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 32494, the earliest show in the archive, 32494. My interview with Donald Trump from 110-2011. 110-2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Let me tell you one thing. I know I've been born again. I'm going to count one for the five, two for the son, three for the Holy Ghost, because they all made one. I want you to start shouting like you're going at your man, because if you give God a crazy praise, Crazy praise, a crazy praise means that you don't care. Bill is one of the great uh, preachers of the United States of America. And what we've gone is from the cadence of the preacher to the canons of statism. What I want to talk about briefly are the black preachers of yesteryear, some of whom still exist, by the way, who are kept down by the white liberal establishment who were never heard from. The white liberal establishment who keeps the black community uh, down and suppresses the family-oriented and God-oriented preachers are who I want to salute today on the Savage Nation. You were listening to the voice of Reverend Dr. Gregory Sutton. You heard the voice of strength, masculinity, wisdom, power, and righteous anger. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to compare the black youth of today with the black youth of 40 years ago. Before the so-called great society, the great liberal society of Lyndon Baines Johnson with the Warren liberal court. Tell me which generation is a healthier generation or was a, gen gen a healthier generation. Can you sit there and honestly say that this generation that has been turned away from God, turned to uh, uh, to God knows what, to Ted Kennedy's uh, uh, company, Ted Kennedy and company saying you don't need a black father in the house and as a role model. What you need is Ted Kennedy and company. The great white father will provide all for you through government. In liberalism, we trust. But before this, there were the black preachers keeping the people in believing, despite their great pain and humiliation of what the black people had gone through hundreds of years, the humiliation, the anger, and the suffering. And instead of channeling this into hatred and murder and violence, the preachers did, and some still do, channel it into goodness and to raising a family to the best of their abilities. And yet the white liberal masters, the Kennedys, the Careys, the Pelosi's, who cast God out of the lives of the black people, are replacing it forever with the worship of the state, the liberal state at that, saying that you only need us to help you. You can't help yourself. But listen to the preacher. I was driving in my car yesterday, and I happened to accidentally turn on one of the higher-numbered uh, stations, and I heard one of the preachers. Now, I had been infatuated with such preaching uh, as a youth. I've been infatuated with a guy named Brother Billy, who I met down at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue one day, preaching on a soapbox. And I drove him up to his little storefront church in Harlem, and I went into this church, and I never felt... I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I've been in places of worship before. Rarely have I found, rarely have I found or seen or been around a congregation so vibrant, let's put it to you that way, so, so vibrant, so vibrating with 
the spirit, the Holy Spirit, as I did in that little storefront. Now you look at the Reverend Jackson, the Reverend Sharpton. They call themselves Reverend. Have you heard them use the uh, name, the word God in any of their preachings? Have you heard the great Reverend Jackson refer to Jesus or God in any of his preachings? And where does he preach, by the way, the great Reverend? And why do they refer to uh, uh, Sharpton as Reverend Sharpton on these shows? I can't believe the inauthenticity of these references. Why don't they ever refer to the real black preachers? Why don't they ever invite the real reverends, the Dr. Gregory Suttons, onto the television shows? I will tell you why. Because these men actually believe in the word of God. These men are opposed to the liberal lifestyle. These men are in, in love with the family. Fifty years ago, there were vibrant black businesses across America. Small businesses at that, but tens of thousands of them. And along came the liberal revolution of the 1960s. The black family was destroyed by many forces, not the least, though, of which, not the least, though, of which was the liberal court of uh, Earl Warren, the presidency of Lyndon Baines Johnson, and, of course, the fraudulent promises of Ted Kennedy and the other great white fathers. As a result, they were told, don't listen to that Uncle Tom preacher. Why, he's just preaching the white man's word to keep you enslaved. So let's see, they broke the chains of slavery of the preacher and of the church. And look at the black youth today. You're telling me they're better off not listening to the preacher, not controlling their anger, not controlling their rage, not trying to channel some of the internal strife and the internal energies into a positive manner? No, my friends. I got to tell you right now that it was the preachers who kept the black families together taught them how to take that terrible pain that they had suffered and work with it and work it. And today, look where we are as a result of the white liberal who claims to be the best friend of the black man. And take a look at the children today as a result of them telling to turn turn away from the church. Now, this is not the most important story in the world, but it's an important story for me today because, as I said to you, I, I truly believe only the word of God can save not only the black community, but the white community as well. Why I'm looking at the black American community is only a product of my having heard uh, the preacher on the radio yesterday and having heard some amazing, amazing preaching. That's all I can say to you. The man who said, if fear has entered a room in your mind, don't give him the keys to all the rooms in the house of your mind. Now, you say simplistic, but what about a person sitting in the audience who was touched and moved by that? Somebody who has been touched by some fear. Somebody has been touched by some fear and is afraid that the fear will penetrate their entire soul. Now, who is going to lead them back? The doctor who gives them drugs? The jailer who gives them bars? The Reverend Sharpton who gives them bullcrap? The Reverend Jackson who gives them a shakedown for himself, not for the guy who's suffering? No, my friend. It's not going to come from the liberal establishment. It's not going to come from the conservative establishment. It's not going to come from the Republican or the Democrat. It's not going to come from the talk shows. It's going to come from a turning back to the fundamental source of stability in the black community, and that was the Christian church. And by the way, it still exists. By the way, it's still vibrant. By the way, you don't know it's there because Hillary doesn't want you to see it. She doesn't want you to hear it. The truly black church, the true black church is there. It's still supporting a good many of the black people in this country. You never hear them. You never see them. You never hear from them. Why? Because they oppose the entire liberal agenda. And anything or anyone who gets in the way of the steamroller becomes a nun person in this country. A nun person in this country. 
a persona non grata. I heard the preacher say to the audience yesterday, if you feel rejected, if you feel singled out, if you feel picked upon, he said, well, that's good because the founders of your religion were picked upon and rejected and ostracized by the people of their time. And the reason you're being picked upon and ostracized is because you're following the word of God. Now go to a step further. Have you heard the voice of Hillary Clinton as she steps into a black church or Ted Kennedy when they take on voices to try to sound like they're black? Listen to Hillary, for example. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I'm asking you, is this what you want leading on the United States of America? Now, I know no matter what I say here, 95% of black people will vote Democrat, just as 92% of Jews will vote Democrat. There's no way to change certain behaviors. No matter how intelligent people are, no matter uh, who they become or what they become, they're stuck. They do what is right to be done in their own mind, which is what their grandfathers or grandmothers or fathers or mothers did. They're stuck in a pattern. So the person could be the biggest 14-carat phony in the world, and they're still going to vote for her. So I don't really care who you vote for. It doesn't matter to me who becomes president at this point. Today, at this time, in this segment, what I'm trying to talk about is preaching the word of God. Not me preaching the word of God, but how it has affected the black community in particular and why that that community is now descended amongst the youth particularly into a violent culture, a culture of drugs and guns and everything wrong that could ever be wrong with a society. It's all because the connection to God was broken by the great society, the white society of Ted Kennedy, the liberal society that promised uh, the world if only they would turn away from the religion and the preacher and turn over, turn their lives over to the senator and the congressman from their community. So before I take my first break on the Savage Nation, I'd like to play a little bit more of uh, the voice of Reverend Dr. Gregory Sutton. Just play it for a few minutes, please. Let me tell you one thing. I know I've been born again. I'm going to count one for the five, two for the son, three for the Holy Ghost, because they all made one. I want you to start shouting like you're going at your man, because if you give God a crazy praise, crazy praise, a crazy praise means that you don't care about what folks say. You don't care about what you have on. He'll give you a crazy blessing. One for the Father. Help me, Holy Ghost. Y'all wave your hand for the Father. Two for the Son. Gonna wave your hand for the Son. Three for the Holy Ghost. From the cadence of the preacher to the canons of statism, who has taken So many blacks from God to the state of liberalism. I'll let you decide. I'll be right back. It's the Savage Nations. You're going out your mind. Going to get your breakthrough. Going to get your deliverance. Going to get what God has for you. You're consecrated. Help me, Holy Ghost. You feel with the Holy Ghost. Notice you said only what God has for you, the word God. Now, you haven't heard the the two great reverends who are really showmen uh, say the word God recently, have you? Yet they're referred to as God by the great commentators who have them on and get on their hands and knees and practically lick their boots. Uh, But the real black preachers are never permitted on Fox or ABC or CBS or NBC because they oppose the liberal agenda from the top to the bottom. 
They understand that the liberal agenda has destroyed the black community. There were 6,000, uh, no, I'm talking locally, sorry. There were about 600 preachers showed up at City Hall. They were black, they were Chinese, they were Hispanic. They were all of the ethnic minorities that the liberals claimed to love. Not one of them was shown in a local TV station. Not one of them was picked up by the twits who run uh, Good Morning This and Good Morning That. It's all a gigantic brainwashing to drive you away from God, to drive you out of church, and to drive you into the arms of the drug dealer and into the arms of madness itself. WTNT, David, your commentary. Go ahead, please. Yes, Dr. Savage. Um, it seems like you were at service with me yesterday. My pastor just spoke on this yesterday. The so same I exact. And I don't know how, but I just picked it up because I saw something here. That the whole community, unless it goes back to the church and back to God, is finished. I agree 100%, sir. It's, it's, uh, being a black man, I, I don't like the term black or African American. I prefer <clears throat> just American. And Jesse Jackson was the one that hyphenated us. And, uh, he is not a reverend of ours. He is not. Well, a, divide and conquer is a very old tool. It's been known for a very long time, David. Yes, sir. I, I, but anyway, you know, what I'm getting at is the liberals said the church was bad for the black. And so a lot of the youngsters laugh at people who go to church. But look where the kids wound up without it, is my point. Chicago, Preston, you're on the Savage Nation. Your opinion, please. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm a black male uh, calling from Chicago. And, you know, I don't think the type of preacher that you that you promote, nor, you know, the one that you got on your show today, he's the type of preacher that we in the black community call a Negro preacher because he's not teaching the true message of Jesus Christ. He's sitting around here raving and hollering, talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, you're a smart man, Mr. Savage. You got a degree. You can't divide three into one. I mean, and first of all, he, I bet he has a white Jesus on his, on his church wall anyway. And, and you know... Well, where, where is the disagreement? You're saying because he is Catholic, you don't agree with him? I'm saying, the re yeah, that, that's part of it. That's part of it because you you study history, and I do too. I'm not a... a, a, a well, well, let me ask you, I'm not here to disagree or agree with you, Preston, because are you a churchgoer yourself? I don't go to church, but I read the Bible and the Quran. All right, all right. So you un you understand the, the... And you haven't heard me bash Islam, have you? Not with regard to the blacks, because it's a separate story that I want to talk about eventually, which is that... Any religious movement or any religion that brings people off the streets and away from drugs, as far as I'm concerned, is a good religion. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity is a bad religion, Dr. Savage, but if you go to the root of where, Christian, where Christianity was founded, we know that it came from Constantine, who was someone who was not really a Christian, if you... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're talking about Constantine the Roman. You're not talking about the foundation of Christianity. Constantine didn't create... Uh, 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 Christianity. Constantine tried to instill Christianity in the Roman. Exactly. He's the one who called the, the Council of Nice, in which the bishops around the, Ro the Roman Empire came but together. Look, I, I don't want to get lost in history and, and lose what we're talking about. I believe that the perfidious nature of the liberal uh, senator from Massachusetts, the perfidious nature of the false preacher, uh, the, the, the deceit through the trust. In other words, when you say perfidious, what am I referring to? I don't want to use a big word. I never do. It means to deceive by trust. So the liberal says, trust me, and then they deceive you. 
you can't argue that the black youth of today is doing better having turned away from God, Preston. I don't believe you you are saying that. Oh, no, man, my community is destroyed, and they're destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. I mean, and I can't make no excuses for them. You know, I love black people. You know, every person, every people love their own first, Dr. Savage. I'm not. Amen, 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 and, and you're an honest man for saying that. And your heart's probably broken when you walk and look at the wreckage around you, the human wreckage with pants hanging down underneath their behinds. I saw a guy like that today, and I told him, man, pull up your damn pants. Excuse me. I mean, I mean <laughs> I, I'm really for a law that you should be defined or possibly if you get three strikes. You go no, I agree. I see white kids like that who I don't know, and I feel like saying, don't you have a father at home who's embarrassed by you? Walking around holding on to your pants like that? Like a jailhouse sissy who's just been molested? Dr. Savage, let me say something right quick. I had it. If I was the police, <laughs> I would yeah. like to Well, I, you're, a good, you're a good caller, Preston. I can hear where you're coming from. And the Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I'm the five of getting ready to break out in this place. Just hold that person. Creatures, I want you to hold on to each other. Something is getting ready to happen. So it's a stylistic uh, way of reaching people. That's from the past. I understand that. And it's not so much that I'm, I'm preaching to you that this is the only style of, of uh, uh, let's say, preaching that would reach people. That's not my point at all. I mean, however you reach people is fine, but this this kind of um, moral, you know, ambiguity, there's no right or wrong, and this modernistic liberalism where there's no good or bad is what's destroying all communities it's across the board. It's not just black people. You can say the same thing about Jewish people uh, who go to these reformed temples and come away uh, empty. They went in for to have their souls that were screaming out for something filled, and they come away empty. They're not touched by these rabbis who themselves need someone to touch them. In the in the Jewish communities, the only, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, from my experience, it's only the Orthodox who still understand where God is and how to reach him or how to be reached by God. I don't know how to put it exactly. You want to feel God if you're a Jew, you have to go into an Orthodox temple. Otherwise, it's it's road. It's, it's mumbo-jumbo. And look at the Christian churches. I don't know what people feel in there. I don't know. Do they go in and feel anything? Do they have to struggle to feel something? How do you actually feel God in a house of worship? How do you feel God in, in any anywhere in our society where we have so little feeling unless we're beaten into a feeling of some kind or drugged into it? And that's the problem facing this country right now, which is this this emptiness, this soullessness, this lack of connection to passion and to God. Now, I don't have an, a direct answer for you. I have to find the answer for myself before I can give it to you, and I'm still working on that. Because as far as one man goes, I go in and out of it. I don't walk around imbued with God. Sometimes I'm as empty as the next man. Sometimes I feel God, and it's at the, the oddest moments. And you could be playing with my dog or looking at the sky or looking at the water or watching a bird. I don't know when it is. Lately, it's been only through, I told you, like I said on Friday, looking at God's Word in the Bible. I mean just running your finger over the words and reading them. So you say, well, they're meaningless words. What do they really mean? I'm telling you that you have to analyze what was man when he believed in these words and what has man become now that he not, doesn't believe in these words. That's the only thing you have to ask yourself. You see what I'm getting at? Now, I don't have a distinct point to this today, to be honest with you. It's just that I was touched by the preacher, and uh, I thought I'd, I'd try to dig up one of the preachers and, and put it on the air. But I'll tell you where I'm leading. I'm leading to Clarence Thomas as an example of what the liberal establishment did to a black man. 
I want you to understand that um, Clarence Thomas is the most prominent black man in the United States of America. The most prominent black man in America, Clarence Thomas. And yet you don't see much of Clarence Thomas. He may as well not exist. He's not a black man to the liberal establishment. He's a not, not he's a no man. He lives in no man's land where they put him. They smeared him. They call him the most controversial justice on the Supreme Court. They're lying. The most controversial justice on the Supreme Court is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, she is the one who worked for the ACLU. She is the one who has a track record of hating the family and of hating God and of hating the military and of hating police. I would say she's the most controversial, but she skated right through it because the liberals own the media and they tell you what to think. So when Clarence Thomas came up for his hearings, they crafted a smear campaign and they used blacks to uh, smear him, as you can well understand. And this man who rose from poverty in Pinpoint in Savannah, Georgia, went to a Catholic seminary in Holy Cross, went to Yale in law school rose within the Republican political establishment and then smeared like nobody before him had ever been, nor smeared since the way they smeared Clarence Thomas. And what crime did he commit? Crime he committed was he was a black man who was not a liberal. That was crime enough. And so we had the vile, filthy street rats like NPR's Nina Totenberg the lousy street rats like her who came up with false reportage that he sexually harassed an Anita Hill. It is total rubbish. They lynched him. And Thomas said, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. And that's what they did to Clarence Thomas. And you know who did it to him? The very liberals who claim that they love the black community. The very liberals who you think are going to save you now are the liberals who lynched Clarence Thomas because he did not toe the liberal party line. You have liberals on that court who are shameful. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is one. Stephen Breyer is another. There are shameful justices on the Supreme Court, and yet they didn't pick on any of them, did they? Nobody dared dare to smear the Jewish uh, nominee, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was nominated, but they did dare to lynch electronically Clarence Thomas. And who did the lynching? Was it conservatives lynching him electronically? No, it was your good liberal friends who lynched Clarence Thomas with lies, lies, and more lies. So in my estimation, they dug up a turncoat backstabber, Anita Hill, in my opinion. And to reward her for stabbing Thomas in the back with lies, they made her a professor of women's studies at liberal Brandeis University. That's what they did to her, for her, as a result of her becoming uh, a brutus, brutus, a brutus. She stabbed him in the back. She did her job, and they gave her a reward. That is what went on. So we've gone a long way. We have really fine black men who are reviled. We have gutter rats who are revered, phony reverends, held up as role models when everyone knows they're 
they're of the lowest order, and the ones of the highest order are rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. It's the same all over the spectrum. It doesn't matter what your race is. All that matters is that if you're liberal, if your orientation is not sufficiently liberal to meet the new, the new test, you do not exist. You are hated. And I can identify with it because it's been done to me all my life. I am an outcast despite all I have done. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a revered by millions of listeners. They buy my books. They listen to my show. But as far as polite white society, I may as well be a criminal. And my crime, I will not kowtow to the liberal agenda. I will not go along with the further destruction of borders, language, and culture. That's my crime. Simple as that. But that's the road I chose. It's the road I'm on. It's the road I'm going to stay on. There's no way I'm going to get off this road. Now, it's not about me. It is about... Well, the other things I've been talking about today, and I'll move on to other topics. I just This was one topic that I felt moved by. Now, there's a few others, and I want to direct you to them before I forget today. If you go to michaelsavage.com, you'll see a really shameful story, and I'll read you the headline. It'll say it all. Gingrich copied Savage, who made this prediction seven months ago on his radio show. Shame on you, Newt Gingrich. Shame on you, Matt Drudge, too. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about... The shameful Newt Gingrich, who I know has a fine intellect, had the audacity to copy what I said in this radio show more than seven months ago. And I said it on several different shows that it was going to be or likely going to be a Hillary slash Obama ticket. I predicted it. I said Obama's a non-entity, a zero. The only way they could run him as a viable vice presidential candidate in order to make sure they get a few more percentages of the blacks who have moved over to the other side back to the Democrats is to run a black candidate on the ticket. But they don't know Obama. So let's w see what we'll do. We'll come up with this. We'll make believe he could be president. We'll legitimize him that way by saying, well, he could have been president, but he didn't make it this time. But I'll tell you what, we'll we'll lay down the hatchets, Hillary and I, and we'll run him as a vice presidential candidate. I said that. I said it's a potential strategy, and it's probably true. It is probably true. But I'll tell you something else. There's a kicker. Forget the fact that Gingrich, who is an old glue horse trying to be relevant and he's finished, uh, d doesn't uh, credit me. I don't need his credit. I'll be around long after he will on the, on, in the media. I can guarantee you that. That's not important. The important thing is that they're making a strategic error. Because I'm going to tell you that a Hillary slash Obama ticket is an error, a huge error. A huge error. They're making a gigantic error for reasons I will describe during this show and others. It is not the right thing to do. But they have such contempt and such contempt for people, particularly black people, that they think that they're nothing but man easily manipulated by throwing a black guy in there, they're going to vote for them automatically. I think they're wrong. I think it's going to go the other way, as a, as a matter of fact. The problem is the Republicans do not have a, a, a viable candidate. Fred Thompson's not a viable candidate. Glue horse, baggage, can't make it. The only candidate who can become president is Mitt Romney. Giuliani looks like a nasty, self-serving character. He does not play west of the of the uh, of Waldorf Astoria. He doesn't even play in New Jersey. Rudolph Giuliani is a nasty prosecutor. He looks like a nasty prosecutor. He looks like the type of kid who stepped on your arches in a Catholic schoolyard and then said you stepped on his and he socked you in the mouth. He comes across as a nasty, mean creature to everybody in America except those east of the Waldorf Astoria. Giuliani cannot win. Plus, he's a big city liberal. 
So he's never going to get the conservative vote. Romney, who is a conservative, is having a lot of trouble for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that he himself refuses to come out and meet the conservative audience. So that's separate, and we'll talk about that as time goes on. There are other stories on my website that I would direct you to, and I know I don't have to push it too hard because you're all going on there, but the stories and the pictures are good. It's a comic book with reality attached to it because I don't make the stories up. All we do is link the stories and change the headlines. For example, I'll give you another headline. Feel castrated by airport security? Question mark. Trust your instincts. Now, the, the actual headline was a little different than that. Uh, the police are seeking a woman in New York who apparently uh, ran an S&M uh, thing in her apartment and castrated a man. They claim she worked for TSA, so I made up my own headline. Here's another one. How marijuana turns young rats into dope heads. That we know. That's why they call it dope. Here's another one. Uh, author says that Che Guevara was Cuba's Himmler. He was. And yet you see his picture up in college campuses. I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see Che Guevara posters on the campaign path for any Democrat. Because he's their kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? Well, here we are, we're here, we're there, we're everywhere right now talking about uh, the black community from a white man's perspective. And if you're black, maybe you're offended by me talking about it. I can understand that. But nevertheless, you talk about whites, so we can talk about the black community, I suppose. Maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. But to me, all you got to do is look at the kids today compared with the kids 50 years ago. Let's go back a half a century. And don't tell me they were they were uh, punks and weaklings because they weren't. But the guns, the crack, the drugs, the shooting each other didn't exist like today. So what happened? What happened? The great society of Lyndon Baines Johnson took over. The preachings of the great white uh, master, Ted Kennedy, peddling statism in place of God. In, in place of the church, it was government. In place of God, it was the politician. They said, you don't need a black father in the house as the provider and as a role model. What you need is Ted Kennedy and company. The great white father will provide all. In liberalism, we trust. And <clears throat> take a look today. Do you ever hear an authentic black preacher? Ever? Anywhere? Ever. About as often as you hear an orthodox rabbi chanting to God in Hebrew. About as often as you actually hear an authentic Buddhist. Uh, you hear a lot of people say they're Buddhist. They don't know what Buddhism is. You walk around Marin County, half the women think they're Buddhists. Why they think they're Buddhists, God only knows. Uh, but the authentic Buddhists you never hear because they probably would never come on, the, on, on radio or television. I saw a National Geographic TV show last night, and it showed out there was a crazy things around the world. So one of them was two tigers whose parent uh, mother had been killed were adopted by Buddhist monks. I think it was in Thailand when they were little cubs, like, you know, cats. Now they're grown up, and the Buddhist monk in a saffron robe walks them through a market, the tigers, that has raw meat and raw fish and raw this and that to prove that the animal is completely different than a wild animal, that the animal, the, the tiger, in essence, he said, has taken on the Buddhist spirit and will not attack. And, of course, the tiger didn't attack in that case, didn't jump at the meat. And he said they're no longer the wild animal of the jungle, he said, because they've listened to us chant and pray and lived in this monastery with us since they're cubs. He said they, they are, in essence, my brother and my sister. There was a girl and a boy, a, a male and a female tiger. I was amazed looking at it. You know, uh, I love those kinds of stories. We all want to believe in fantasy and fables. And in this case, it's, maybe it's a fable that's real. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is there is an awful lot to be learned about ethology or animal behavior that we don't know. I would say more is not known than is, than, than is, no, is known. 
about animal behavior, and I would say less is known about spirituality than is known about spirituality and what effects it might have upon the human soul in terms of healing. We know there are great mysteries of healing that are related to a, to a prayer that have not yet been described. And, and of course, when you plumb the depths of mysticism, uh, which I know nothing about, but there are genuine mystics, just as there are genuine psychics who have helped police in investigations. And many of you are, are, are objectivists and, and skeptics and don't believe in it. Well, there are many, many cases of of uh, um, so-called psychics who have solved or helped the detectives solve unsolvable cases, cold cases. And it's the same with spiritual uh, matters. There are many cases of religious people who have healed the sick, who have made the crippled walk uh, that we rarely ever hear about or ever see. You understand that? And uh, I suppose the purpose of me talking about all of these mysteries is because I am just flat board with politics. I could care less what a woman who wants to be president has to say or what a man who wants to be president has to say. I am so tired of the perfidious character of our politicians that I thought I would try for a moment to go into another direction because I'm brain dead from them. I have never in my life seen such empty suits and empty skirts in my life as I see right now. And and mark my words, it's going on a year and a half before an election. It's never happened before. And the reason it's happening is because they know you are bored to death with them. You care nothing about politics because of the lies and the deceit. And so they're trying to drum up support for the a great election that's coming so many months from now. When, in fact, most people could care less. They're more interested in the pebble in the shoe than they are in the perfidious characters performing like puppets uh, on parade. Having said that, we will go on to other topics. I think in the next hour I'll touch on something even more esoteric to drive away even more listeners who really want to hear something else. I was reading again last night, not to act smart, a little bit of Gibbon's The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, and so much can be learned from this book on the decline and fall of the Roman Empire apropos of the decline and fall of our empire. You will not believe it. And here's one line to just give you a hint. He says, the rise of a city, he means Rome, which swelled into an empire, may deserve the, the uh, reflection of a philosophic mind. Listen to this. But the decline of Rome was the natural and inevitable effect of immoderate greatness. That caught my eye. And what happened with this immoderate greatness in ancient Rome? Why did Rome decline because of its immoderate greatness? And he tells you why. He says the emperors, that means our politicians, anxious for their personal safety and the public peace, corrupted the discipline which rendered them alike formidable to their sovereign and to the enemy. Now listen to this. The vigor of the military government was relaxed and finally dissolved by the partial institutions of Constantine. And the Roman world was then overwhelmed by a deluge of barbarians. The decay of Rome has been frequently, you hear the decay of Rome. So our deluge of barbarians is very clear in this country. We know who the barbarians are. Most of us don't have the political courage to call uh, the illegal aliens the barbarians of our time, but they are, make no mistake about it. They do not respect our borders, our language, or our culture. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Chief Justice John Roberts has had a seizure at his summer home in Maine, and he uh, fell on a, on a dock. Now, what's interesting to me and almost frightening and puzzling is that 
on Friday, Charles Schumer gave a loud and vociferously nasty speech uh, during which he said he would never support another Bush judge. He would never support it. It was, it, you know, let me ask you something. All you leftists believe in the conspiracy of Bush and Cheney, the conspiracy of 9-11. Am I to believe that there's no connection between Charles Schumer on Friday saying that he would never appoint or never, excuse me, approve another Bush appointment to the court, to any court? And then the chief justice suffers a so-called seizure two days later. You're telling me there's no possibility of a conspiracy by the Democrats to have caused this seizure in some manner? Tell me that it's not possible. Tell me that the stakes are not so high that the liberals have finally lost the court after 50 years that they would stop short of anything like this. Tell me it's not possible. And I'll tell you you're a liar. Hiram, Sacramento, on this topic or others, well, okay, here we go. I don't know that I want to argue with anybody, actually. I don't want to argue with anybody. I don't want to argue with anybody. I find it odd that Bigfoot, Schumer, and I call him Bigfoot for a reason, that Bigfoot on Friday would say he's putting his foot down and they're never going to approve another Bush appointment because the court's been moved too far to the right. What he means is it's no longer a communist socialist court. It's been moved to the center. Make no mistake about it. It's a centrist court. It's by no means a right-wing court. A right-wing court would be much different than, than this one. It's a centrist court. Even that's too much for Schumer, Boxer, Feinstein, Durbin, Kennedy at all. They want a left-wing court of lackeys to bring us into the world of socialism, to destroy our Constitution once and for all under the guise of liberalism, to destroy once and for all the dignity of the United States of America by bringing the cesspool to Main Street. And so this is pretty amazing to me that he's had a seizure at age 52. That's a pretty amazing thing. They say that he had a similar episode in 1993 and that uh, now they're telling us there's no cause for concern. You know, you don't know what to believe. But he'll remain in the hospital in Maine overnight. Now, why he had a seizure, I don't know. I don't think he was asked to dine in Manhattan uh, on his way to Maine. I don't think he was asked to uh, share a uh, sandwich on his way to Maine. Do you? Uh... They say, well, it can't happen here. It's impossible. Well, let me ask you something. Remember the Russian who uh, ate some uh, polonium sushi? He was going to give an interview that was embarrassing to Putin. He ate a polonium uh, uh, sushi, and then he died. Well, they do it over there when there's a lot of money at stake, don't they? Power at stake. What's a human being to power, to power mad people and power mad parties? Nothing. So why can't we assume for a moment that it's within the realm of possibility that Roberts was in some way, his health was in some way, tampered with by the Democrats because they can't believe that no matter what they do, no matter what they do, even if they engineer a victory for Hillary Clinton and Obama, they're still not going to be in control because the, the courts move to the center. Just a thought, just a tiny little thought for you to ponder tonight, all you left-wingers who are so glib in your attacks on the conservative movement. So let's take the callers. Uh, I actually was going to ask another question this hour is why do you think America is in decline? But that might lead to a free-for-all. I can tell you right now which way it would go. And, you know, some of you would say that it's because of you uh, evil people on the right who are talking about the merits of abstinence, chastity, borders, language, and culture. It's because of the oppression of the Christians uh, by the liberals, or it's the oppression of the liberals by the Christians. It's because of the indolence of our age, because of the effeminate nature of the media. Because of the preachers. I mean, whichever way you want to take it, it can go. So what's the point? Uh, it certainly can't be as a result of patriotism that, that America is in decline, can it?
What is patriotism, by the way? Has anyone ever thought about what patriotism is? Well, I read somewhere that patriot, patriots prefer to promote the exclusive interest and glory of your native country. That's a crime, of course, to the liberal. By definition, then, I'm a patriot. A patriot prefers to promote the exclusive interest and glory of his native country. Of course, today, that's considered so gauche that you're not a universalist. You're not an internationalist. That we're not all equal. That uh, Mugabe Zimbabwe is not equal to the United States of America for to the liberal. Or that the dictator Castro's Cuba is somehow not equal uh, to the United States is the mark of some rube, some patriotic rube, I guess. Atlanta, Georgia, WSB, Mike, go ahead, please. I just wanted to thank you for taking my call, and that I'm in complete agreement with you that there is definitely uh, the possibility of a conspiracy going on. I like to, I like to uh, bring to attention... But wait, hold on, let me, let me say this again. On Thursday, some hack for the left wing, some hack professor said that we should increase the number of people on the Supreme Court, raising it from nine to another number, and he gave precedent for it. Of course, you got to go back 200 years to come up with this precedent. He then, uh, then on Friday, the shocking statement by Schumer, the obstructionist, whose nightmare, whose dream for America is a nightmare for me. His dream is to see a Hillary presidency, and he becomes a, a appointed to the Supreme Court. That's what Schumer has lived for from the time he was a little boy. That's all he wants. So he had the nerve to say on Friday he will never, ever, ever permit another Bush appointee to get into a court to, to become a judge. Then today we read that uh, the chief justice has had a, a seizure and fell on a dock. Something's wrong with this picture. I agree. And the point that I'm trying to, that I'd like to get across is that we're fighting this Afghan war and nobody's talking about it in the news, but we're actually allowing them to produce the largest ever crop of opium that the world has ever seen. And they're not just producing the opium, but they're actually manufacturing on an industrial scale. Oh yeah, well you got to keep you got to keep the masses uh, subdued through the use of uh, heroin. You know, you don't want them rising up. Heroin's better for the masses than than cocaine or crack. Uh, so I suppose the powers need to, to make sure that the masses have their opium uh, and their heroin, very much the way the British dumped uh, opium on the uh, uh, Chinese to subdue them and turn them into coolies. I would say that uh, there are some powers in the world dumping heroin on the West in order to subdue this the Western Empire into a, into, a, into an empire of coolies. Allowing a, a huge mass market of this drug entering into our economy. Now, I know the Taliban, by the way, the Taliban, who were merciless in their uh, oppression of women and the oppression of non-Muslims, killed the drug dealers and the opium growers. Did you know that? Yes, I did. That's actually the one thing that they were able to accomplish. They not only Now, how do you like that? The Taliban, who we oppose with everything in us because they were so retrograde uh, did not permit the uh, the uh, opium fields to to grow uh, to grow, didn't permit opium to grow and they killed the drug dealer isn't that strange and we send our men over there to let's see free up the women and free up the opium growers what's that all about is what you're saying right we put them in power we're allowing these guys to run the country and export free and clear of anybody stepping <laughs> in their way <laughs> And that stuff's well, that's a topic that's way beyond my um, my ability to understand it. You see, I have my limitations. I can't understand a thing like that because it might bring me into a realm that I don't want to be in. I think you can put two and two together, though, when you think about it for a, a slight period of time. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice topic. K said, ah, said, ah, you know.
My mother said to me, don't discuss religion or politics because you're going to make people mad. Little did I realize that's the only way you could ever make a living in this business. I'll be right back. Uh, I would describe Gordon Brown as a principled man who um, really wants to get something done. Mm. I was in my discussions with him last night. We spent about two hours over dinner mm. and uh, just alone. We dismissed oh my the, God. the uh, rest of the delegations to the bowling alley, I think. <laughs> did you and, hear that? Uh, dismissed. Hold it. Did you hear this? Dismissed. It, it just makes my flesh crawl. Now, I saw another show. Maybe I'll watch too much television, I'll admit it. But since I'm in the media, I get my information from many sources, not, not the least of which is television. I love documentaries. So there's a documentary on where they have soldiers send back war diaries on one of the military channel from Iraq. These are the troops speaking directly to a camera, which they send back. They're not scripted. And they show one guy, ordinary Joe, who's facing life and death every day in Iraq, a human being like you. And here's what he said. They go in a chow hall, and uh, he says, look at the meals. He said, why are, why is KK, KBR, Kellogg Brown Root, a subsidiary of Halliburton, providing the meals to, to, to the troops here? He said, the military has cooks and kitchens. He said, we could cook it. He said, you see each plastic tray? It costs the government $26 each meal that is served here in Iraq for the troops. He said, so if two trays are used by someone who goes back from a second order of potatoes, he said, the government has billed $52. Then he says, we have truck drivers. He said, they make $17,000 a year. He says, why is the government paying $117,000 a year for a truck driver through KBR, Kellogg, Brown, and Root? He says, I hate to think it's all about corruption. He said, because I want to believe that I'm over here to make Iraq a better society. You hear what I'm saying to you? Now, when I played for you, Beware the Military-Industrial Complex, the great speech of Dwight D. Eisenhower, given in the 1950s, my God, has that come home to roost. And I'm sorry, I have to tell you that I know there are many forces at play in terms of Iraq. Many, many forces at play. One is um, idealistic. One is imperialistic. One is plain old greed. And you can, you can put in your own your own piece into that pie. But I got to ask you something. Don't you think that there are reasons beyond the obvious as to why we're stuck there after five years of defeating the, the opposing army longer than World War II? Why? And why are they providing truck drivers through a private contracting firm that cost over $100,000 a year when we have military men capable of driving trucks? We have men who are cooks, yet we don't use them. KBR provides the meals at $26 a plate. Play Eisenhower. Maybe that'll help you figure it out. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. Now, Dwight D. Eisenhower was the Supreme Allied Commander who basically ran World War II you know, from our side and, uh, quite, quite an officer probably not. Well, and quite an officer, let's put it that way get an executive president of the United States in the early fifties. And he was warning about the military industrial complex. I mean, let's not call him 
Akami, if you don't mind. I mean, he defeated the, he was one of the chief reasons we were able to defeat Hitler in the, uh, in the, uh, in Europe. And so meals at $26 a plate. How much would it cost for a, an army guy to be a cook? How much would it cost? It could cost less than $26. Don't tell me it's, it's more efficient. Something's wrong with the picture. So when you see these kinds of exorbitant amounts of money being made, you can understand why the left is screaming, screaming with rage at the whole picture. And you could also understand why many on the conservative side have said it's time to get out and let them kill each other because it's enough already. That doesn't mean we want to see the Iraqis in any more pain. We know that Saddam was a vicious uh, dictator. Nobody will deny that. We know he killed several hundred thousand people. Uh, several hundred thousand of the Kurdish people with, with sarin and other gases. I think it was sarin gas. And we know that him and his sons were certifiable monsters who raped at will and killed at will. But I think that if you add up the actual number of people who were killed on a yearly basis after the uh, the uh, murder up in uh, the, the Kurdish area, it would be far less than the number of Iraqis dying now. It's a very, very ugly thing to say. That was a beautiful country. You see the pictures of it. It looked like Eden. Palm trees and highways and buildings, waterways and electricity. It was all running. We broke it. We broke it. We broke it over the anvil. We smashed it. We broke the country. And now what? We're rebuilding it at what cost? We're bankrupting the treasury of the United States of America. Look at the value of the U.S. dollar. This is the, an example of a foreign legion at war bankrupting the, the, uh, the, the, the capital. And where do you think the money's coming from? You. They've been juggling the books and balancing the books, but we're going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it very soon, if not immediately, uh, through the the inflation that's really under the surface. The value, I don't have to tell you that we're running through an inflation here as a result of these extraordinary uh, ransoms that are being paid to pay for the war. The war is bankrupting the United States Treasury. You can't run a war like this forever without bankrupting the, the nation. So they're not raising taxes, and yet they're paying the money. Where's the money coming from? They're printing it. They're devaluing the value of the dollar, which is why the dollar's value has collapsed worldwide, because other currencies actually have more fundamental value, in a nutshell, for the average person. And then, of course, the taxation that's coming after the liberals win is only uh, it's hard to fathom what they're going to do to the average worker in this country. They'll say they're going to tax the rich, but you and I both know they're going to tax the worker. Then you read a report the other day, I saw, that by the year 2000 or whatever, very soon, 75% of all government expenditures will be so-called entitlements. What is an entitlement? What is an entitlement? For a welfare bump to sit on his fat behind and slug down beer in a doorway? That's an entitlement? For a welfare mother to knock out children like tasty bread in a factory? That's an entitlement? Tell me what an entitlement is to pay exorbitant pensions to government workers who didn't work very hard their whole lives? That's an entitlement? Who's going to pay for it? I don't know who's going to pay for it, but when they start taxing the so-called rich and kill the economy, no one will pay for it. That's what's going to happen. So believe me, we're going to pay the piper for this little experience in Iraq. When we come back on the Savage Nation, we're going to play an interview I did very, 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 very recently. And you're not going to believe how it ties into what I've told you. And by the way, would you please continue to go on while you can to my website, michaelsavage.com? Uh, I know that you want the uh, tapes and the books, and I know that I'm trying to provide them. We're running out of them. 
Uh, Michael, one of our lead stories in this week's issue of InsightMag.com is really an absolutely outrageous story. What we have found out is that the Democratic leadership in the House of Representatives, uh, the Democrats led by Nancy Pelosi and John Murtha, the ones that were supposed to come into Washington, clean up the culture of corruption, bring more accountability to government, uh, really sort of clean house from the sort of corrupt Republicans of the last uh, 12 years, well, now they're coming in and engaging really in a new record for earmark abuse. Uh, earmarks is sort of a Washington term we use here for pork barrel projects. And what we have found out, Michael, this is almost unbelievable. We had to triple-check this to make sure that this was actually true. This is something that is mind-boggling. Apparently, John Murtha, Pennsylvania Democrat, leading anti-war uh, uh, critic in the, in the House of Representatives, who portrays himself as really one of the most, as the paragon of virtue, as one of the most uh, uh, honest, ethical congressmen, uh, you know, in, in, in the history of the United States. John Murtha has put in a request for an earmark to a, a place called the Center for Instrumented Critical Infrastructure, $1 million. It doesn't exist. Oh, my God. This organization does not exist. So he's asking for $1 million of people's hard-earned taxpayer money to be earmarked for a project that doesn't even exist. This is not even pork. This is nothing. And this is being done with the full knowledge of Nancy Pelosi. And, Michael, what is really outrageous here, it's not just the $1 million uh, to, be, to be used for what reason? As a slush fund, um, uh, to be used for uh, nefarious purposes, we don't know. But what's really outrageous, Michael, is that the Republicans on the Hill, especially conservative Republicans, led by a really good guy, Jeff Flake of Arizona, he's, he's very good, at least on this earmark issue, they have been raising the uh, red flags about just an, an array of earmarks, of pork barrel projects that are going to construction firms, they're going to bridges, they're going to roads, that are really absolutely not necessary in any way, shape, or form. The Democrats are now rewarding their allies and their major fundraisers by giving them all sorts of projects, uh, a waste of taxpayers' money uh, for political purposes. Michael, it's almost like a payoff. You know, in the old days, it was a payola scandal where you come in, you put money on a congressman's desk, and he gives you a vote. Today, you have fundraisers and lobbyists who come into these Democrats' offices, throw them bundles of money, which are campaign cash, and then they get all sorts of pet projects in exchange. This is a form of legalized bribery and legalized corruption. This is crazy. And, Michael, what is really stunning here is the level of maliciousness and the, the, uh, the, the, the intense partisanship that you're seeing among Democrats. When being challenged by Republicans, and let me just give you one example, Michael. Uh, Representative Lynn Westmoreland, a conservative Republican from Georgia, wanted to get money uh, struck in from a, from a housing program for Native Hawaiians from a, a transportation bill. And what happened was that the person who inserted the earmark, Congressman Neil Abercrombie, a Hawaii Democrat, was so livid that Westmoreland wanted to take out that pork barrel project for uh, low-income housing for Native Hawaiians, that in, on, on the House floor, in front of all of his colleagues, he openly threatened Westmoreland with violence, saying that he was going to go over there, 
strangle him and beat him. Um, uh, that he was so outraged that he was going to do this, and that's why he had, as he put it, I have to confine my remarks to the chair because if I say this directly to the gentleman, I will beat him physically. These, this is the kind of thuggery and the kind of thuggish tactics that you're now seeing from the Democrats. And you know, Michael, what is very alarming is that literally for decades, throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, before Gingrich and the Republican Revolution of 1994, these were exactly the kind of practices that the Democrats under Tip O'Neill practiced. They bankrupted this country. They, the national debt went through the roof. Spending went through the roof. And it went for these sort of spending corporate pork barrel projects. And what's going on, Michael, is this is a repeat of this sort of thing. And what the Democrats are about, fundamentally, is they are looking to buy votes. They are buying votes, and what they're aiming their, 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 the power of the purse now is to buy up the African-American vote, to buy up the Puerto Rican vote, to buy up the union vote. They want to buy up the trial lawyer vote. And what they're doing now in, in particular, Michael, is they're looking to buy up the construction vote because there are a lot of Hispanics who work in the construction industry, and they are throwing out contracts you think the bridge to nowhere was an outrage. This is nothing compared to the stuff the Democrats are now putting out. Jeff, I find it interesting, but is there anything else the Savage Nation would want to hear? Michael, that's, I mean, that's a very good question. We've been asking a lot of people on Capitol Hill, where does the money go if it goes for an organization that doesn't exist? Uh, is, can their criminal charges be pressed against them? Can there be uh, uh, misuse of money, uh, you know, misallocation of funds? Or if you threaten a member of Congress you know, on the House floor, can there be criminal charges pressed against you? Nobody has a clear answer to that. What we do know is that basically you have a grant of immunity on the House floor. You can pretty much say or do pretty much anything and get away with it, sort of parliamentary immunity that goes back centuries. In terms of this money, this is, this is, this is unprecedented. I mean, never before has money been allocated to an organization that doesn't exist. And, Michael, what's very disconcerting here is that MRSA already has heavy baggage that comes with him. There have been all kinds of allegations that have dogged him for years, that he is one of the most corrupt congressmen, uh, really, in, 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 in the modern era. This is somebody who has been accused of taking bribes, of soliciting bribes, and here he is just throwing out a million dollars. And, you know, my question is this. If this center doesn't exist, what was he planning to do with the money? Why was he allocating that money? Who's watching that? And that's the thing about Murtha, and frankly, Michael, that's the thing about a lot of these Democrats. These are a lot of Democrats who have very strong allies in key sectors of the economy that really is, in, and for them politically, it is literally their bread and butter. They have to reward their constituents, and they have to reward their allies. And they have promised these people a lot, and now it's basically they're, they're bringing home the bacon. And what they're trying to do, Michael, is they're trying to buy votes. And they're trying to buy segments of this, of this country. And that's what the Democrats have been doing really going back since FDR. They are buying segments of the electorate. You saw it with FDR, with the, with the New Deal coalition. You saw it very clearly under the Great Society and Lyndon Johnson. As I said earlier, you saw it with Tip O'Neill and the Democrats in the 70s and 80s. And now you're seeing it again. It is taking people's hard-earned taxpayer money and just throwing it at different groups in the country and basically trying to buy them off. Now, the Republicans, to their credit, are really trying to expose this. And what they're now trying to do is at least making public the earmarking process. In other words, which member of Congress put what earmark in what bill, 
so at least the public can be aware of it. But, Michael, if fundamental reforms are not implemented, the corruption that you see on Capitol Hill is only going to get worse and worse. And what's really sickening here, Michael, is it's poor people out you know, in the heartland, Joe Sixpack, who's going to have to pay for it, because it's his tax money that's being misused, misappropriated, and there's no other word to say it. Literally, it's being stolen right from under their eyes. Jeff, thanks for that update. Michael, thank you very much. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. The news of the day is that Chief uh, Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, 52 years old in perfect health, has a seizure at a summer home in Maine, collapses on a dock, and is rushed to a hospital. We don't know the medical status of Mr. Roberts. I find it unnerving that on Friday, Mr. Schumer, Bigfoot Schumer, said that he will never, ever, ever approve another Bush appointee. And on our last Thursday, a, a liberal hack professor said we need to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court like it was orchestrated. Thursday, the hack, Friday, Bigfoot, and now the collapse. Uh, it, it's astonishing to watch this. But then, look, if, I, if I'm if i reading Edward Gibbons' The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, I don't put it past anything happening to anybody in politics. Believe me, nothing's changed when you uh, look at how people got swallowed up in ancient Rome. You know? So, <laughs> Moses commanded the earth to open and to swallow up in consuming flames. The rebellious race which refused obedience to God. So why can't we assume that uh, the um, the liberals don't want to consume and swallow up the conservatives, and they will stop at no at nothing to establish and reestablish the welfare state? You know, particularly when you look at the distracted state of the presidency right now. Emperor George W. Bush, in a world of his own. Why, why shouldn't we believe anything is possible? Why? Why must we call it conspiracy? Why must we call it impossible? Why must we say it can't happen in a democracy or republic like ours? Why not? Strange things have happened to powerful people who stood in the way of other powerful people from the beginning of time. If it can be done with gangs in the street who knock each other off, why can't it happen at a higher level? Oh, just a thought. Just a thought. Just random musings of a talk show host. Now you understand why they want us off the air. Now you understand why both political parties are doing everything they can to call it uh, t two sides of the story, when in fact it's not. It's their side only. This is a monarchy. Make no mistake about it. It's a monarchy of the powerful versus the people. And when I say powerful, it doesn't mean everyone is impoverished. I'm talking about power as opposed to wealth. Some of the most powerful people in America are, are quite, are quite uh, poor. You understand that some of the people without money are very powerful. So, you know, don't don't assume everyone is powerful as wealthy and vice versa. I'm just, just random thoughts on a Monday. Al Gore's son pleads guilty in drug case. Now, we know that he got stopped and he had marijuana. He was speeding on the Pacific Coast Highway. And then you got to read the whole article because they own the media. You understand that the libs own the media. You have to read on and on. The whole story you have to read and to find out what else he had in the car other than marijuana. Xanax, Valium, Vicodin, and Adderall. No prescription for any of the medications. So they find these drugs in Al Gore III's car, and he pleads guilty to two felony counts of drug possession, two misdemeanor counts of drug possession without a prescription, 
One misdemeanor count of marijuana possession. But wait, here's the punchline. They give him a sentence, right? And if he's complied with all the conditions of the, of the so-called diversion program, the sentencing will be continued again for another year, and then the charges will be dropped in 2009. Then the, the spokesman says, at that point, Gore Jr. will be able to withdraw his guilty plea as if he never entered it. Now, i got to ask you something. If a poor black kid got stopped in a speeding car on the Pacific Coast, Coast Highway, and in this car at night, going 100 miles an hour, they find an ounce of marijuana, Xanax, Valium, Vicodin, and Adderall, and no prescriptions, do you think that that poor black kid would be able to do a diversion program in Los Angeles courts? Do you think that Al Gore had something to do with the diversion program? Do are you no? No, I have nothing to do with it. No, the rich and powerful have no access to the courts. Oh no, no, no. There's no two-tier justice system in America. It's not that he's a child of someone rich and famous and manipulative. No, 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 no. No matter how they screw up, it's a slap on the hand, and that's it. Of course, if you're poor as I was, and you did something like that, your life is over. That's all. That's the way it is. And you wonder why the people are seething at the bottom. <laughs> I don't wonder. I don't wonder. I don't wonder at all. There was an interesting article here. Where is this? Ah, so many interesting articles. I don't know what I want to talk about right now. What do you want me to talk about? Portland, Oregon. Alan, KXL. In Portland country. What's on your mind? I just wanted to say I picked up the political zoo, and uh, I had to read through the, the Clinton article three times because I was crying. I was laughing so hard I was crying. Uh, now, which Clinton? You mean Bill or Hillary? Uh, Bill, the one with the, um, uh, the werewolf, the something werewolf. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, I, let's see. Hillary Clinton, I named the limber leopard, Peronista Manipulatus. But let us see what name we gave, affectionately gave to our husband, Bill. It's a good drawing. Oh, yes. The, uh, the celebrated Arkansas werewolf, Fondlem Ungropium. What, what made me laugh was just that intro paragraph where it says, hold on to your wives, hold on to your... Uh, I'm, I'm in the car right now, and, and uh, I don't know exactly what it said, but I just... Here it is. As we near the habitat of this unique creature, Bill Wolfboy Clinton, a word of warning. Men, hold close your wives and your daughters, and your granddaughters and your grandmothers, and their mothers, and their mothers' mothers. And remember, neither your cane nor your walker offers any discouragement when Wolfboy is excited. And please, ladies, whatever you do, don't wear blue. The color alarms him, arouses him, and triggers memories that are not all good. It's all meant in jest. You understand that, Alan? That I do. That's, it's that's... all meant in jest. I, like John Dryden, believe that the true end of satire is the amendment of vice by correction, and he who writes honestly is no more an enemy to the offender than the physician to the patient when he prescribes harsh remedies to an inveterate disease, which is why old, good old Diane Feinstein and good old uh, Ted Kennedy and good old John Kerry want to eliminate satire uh, in talk radio because they can't take it. Did I put Kerry in the book? I don't even know if he's in here. I don't know if I got around to him. His left and right is uh, scandalized in this book or satirized. Oh, it's John Kerry. I'm going to look at it myself. I haven't looked at it in a while. My current interests are elsewhere. John Kerry, Flipper Floppus. The Flipper family. Do you understand what I did in this book, The Political Zoo? I took each political or media figure, and I tried to give them an animate figure, a figure of a, in the form of an animal. And I had to decide which animal. Then I gave them a pseudo-Latinized name, as you would see genus and species. So John Kerry was named the Flipper family of toothless dolphins. I mean, he was in the Flipper family of toothless dolphins who luxuriate in the protected coves of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, in the south of France. 
This species has no established habitat or pattern of behavior, but rather, you get it, it's too hard for the average person to understand. It wasn't Democrat bad, Republican good. It wasn't Republican bad, progressive good. In other words, it had nuance, context, literary value. Consequently, although it sold well over 100,000 copies, it was the least of my best-selling books in terms of uh, sales. You understand that? It required too much thought. You can't have too much thought. Uh, Hillary Clinton was known as the limber leopard, the thick-legged predator. Nancy Pelosi, I dared call the distempered rainbow parakeet, leftist irrationalis. With its large beak and small head, the distempered rainbow parakeet caused with great frequency and volume, yet lacks mental capacity to emit anything original or intelligent. So you could see why the average person didn't buy the book. That's all. Now, what do you want to talk about? I right, Please, right, leave me alone with Iraq. You know, take it up with your local uh, politician. What do you want from me? One says withdraw, the other says stay. One says do this, the other says do that. It doesn't matter what you think. There's so much money at stake. It doesn't matter if you if you if you got and set yourself on fire like a Buddhist monk against the Vietnam War. You could emoliate yourself in front of the White House. They're not stopping. Not when they can charge twenty six dollars for a plate of plastic food. Double if you go back for more potatoes. Why should they stop? Houston, Texas. Bill, you're on the Savage Nation. Yeah, I'm angered by the way KBR is gouging the country. Uh, I have to say I love our troops. My son is one. But if you want to know why KBR is getting $26 to provide a tray of military-quality food, you got to consider my, my fiancé's 29-year-old son. He's over in Iraq right now. Absolutely zero training in sanitation and provision of water. No training whatsoever. And yet he was hired at $85,000 a year, a professional salary for a really low-skilled job, tax-free. Meanwhile, my son is in the Navy making less than sixteen grand a year. So it, it just absolutely infuriates me how a company like KBR... Why don't we use troops to be cooks, as has gone on in every other war? Why are we using private contractors to, to make a turkey, a turkey and potato lunch? Well, I'm just seething. Well, but I, I heard this from a soldier on a, on, a, on a documentary. It's not a left-wing anti-war guy. The poor guy's there with a machine gun in a Humvee facing death every day. He's the one who said it on a TV show. They didn't put words in his mouth. The soldiers are asking why KBR is getting the contract to drive the trucks at 120000 a year when a soldier could do it for $17,000. they are asking the question. Up here. So what do you want? I mean, there it is. Gingrich Copy Savage, who made this prediction seven months ago, on his radio show. Shame on you, Newt Gingrich. Of course, he has no shame. Shame on you, Matt Drudge. Of course, he has no shame either. Why are they all quoting Newt Gingrich said it'll be a Hillary Obama ticket? What is so shocking? I said it at least five times over the last nine months. But I guess Michael Savage doesn't exist to these people. Well, it's to their loss because I'll be around long after they will with God's uh, will and your listenership. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Zachariah talks about what could be considered nuclear war, and it shall come to pass in that day that there shall not be light but heavy clouds and thick. You hear this? And there shall be one day which shall be known as the Lord's, not day and not night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time there shall be light, and it shall come to pass in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. It's frightening. I mean, it really makes your hair stand up. Because it's pretty ugly what's coming. He says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. If, if this doesn't sound like what's going on right now, 
It seems to me all the nations of the world are lined up against Jerusalem right now. It seems all the nations are lined up against Jerusalem, except the nation of Christianity here in America. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity. But the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fighteth in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives. Shall I stop this right now? Read it for yourself. It's in Zechariah 14. So he actually, in this Zechariah, predicts that Israel shall be attacked, the city shall be razed, half the city shall be taken into captivity, and at, captivity, and at that point, God steps in. And at that point, you'll have to see how this story comes out. It says that, because it goes like this, and it shall come to pass in that day that there shall not be light, but heavy clouds and thick. So the Israelis then go nuclear, and they incinerate Iran, they incinerate Syria, they incinerate their enemies. And it shall come to pass in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall the Lord be one and his name one. All the land shall be turned. I don't want to read anymore because many of you don't believe in this. And I don't know whether to believe in it. And this shall be the plague where the Lord will smite all the peoples that have warred against Jerusalem. You're listening to this one? If this is not a description of nuclear destruction of the Iranian people and the Syrian people, I'd like to know a better clinical description of, uh, of, than what I'm going to read to you. I'll read it to you. It is a description of the after effects of a nuclear holocaust upon Iran and upon Syria. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the peoples that have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their sockets. And their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold every one in the hand of his neighbor. And his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. So it's terrible. It's terrible, but that is what the psychopath from Iran wants. The psychopath from Iran is trying to annihilate the Jewish people. He stands up with that dirty smirk on his face every day and says, the death of Israel is near, the Jews shall be driven into the sea, we shall destroy it. This is every day. And those pimps at the U.N., those whoremongering pimps at the U.N. say nothing. Those dirty, useless pimps in the U.N., I have nothing but utter gutter contempt for all of them. They're worthless, all of them. They say nothing. Instead, they attack America, they attack Israel, uh, and they wonder why we, the people who know what's going on, want those degenerate bums thrown out of the East, the east Side. Don't get me started. Don't get me started, because I can get really good started here. The U.N., I spit on them. Worthless. But God will take care of them in the end, I can guarantee you. But what I've read to you, before I got emotionally wrapped up in this, is a perfect clinical description of what happens to people uh, as uh, uh, with the effects of a, nu a nuclear bomb. Now, it's interesting that I'm talking about this right now because I once interviewed on this show 10 years ago the man who created the neutron bomb, and it was an astounding interview. I have the tapes somewhere. I have to get them for you for next week. But he wrote an autobiography called Shame. His name is Cohen, I remember now. Mr. Cohen developed the neutron bomb. By the way, we have no neutron bombs. George Bush Sr. Uh, disassembled all of them in an attempt to make the world safer. Did you know that? I don't know if you know this. 
It's shocking to understand. It's, it's heartbreaking to tell you this, but hey, what the heck? I'm that kind of guy. We once had neutron bombs. George Bush the first, uh, dissembled all of our neutron bombs in an attempt to make peace. He went along the liberal road. Now our enemies now have neutron bombs. We don't, so far as I last checked. But Mr. Cohen writes in his biography, autobiography, Shame, about a lot of symptoms of uh, a, a nuclear explosion. And you're not going to believe what I tell you, and I, it's going to take me a little time to get into this. I didn't plan on this right now. I'm going to have to go get the book, which I have a few steps from here in my vast, savage library. I have the biography. I'm looking right at it here, but it's at the back of the office, the studio. He describes why he thinks psychologically why he became a scientist and why he developed a bomb that would do this to people. The, the symptoms that I just described to you, the melting away, in essence, of a person's flesh. The uh, uh, the uh, their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet and their eyes shall consume away in their sockets and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. To me, out of Zechariah, I'm reading to you a prophetic vision of what's coming to the enemies of Israel. It ends with Jerusalem shall dwell safely. The enemy shall be exterminated. But this is after half the Jews are killed and taken into captivity. In other words, you want to talk about a nightmare scenario. You know, who's the winner here? Well, it would be much better if the U.N. sent out a strike force uh, to take out the psychopath of Iran before he leads the world to a nuclear holocaust. That is what any sane individual would, would understand needs to be done. These madmen must be stopped. But instead, we have psychopaths in America. We have idiots on the Democrat side who say we are provoking Iran, that they're peace-loving people, that they mean no harm. They are the most dangerous people on the planet. These potheads, these sexual deviants that the media continues to hold up as role models. These know-nothings, these psychopaths, get up and scream they hate George Bush. They hate the military. We're the warmonger. They have everything upside down. They may as well be looking through a diseased mind because they are looking through a diseased mind. As William Blake the poet wrote in the 19th century, the mind that alters alters all. They have altered everything. They now take the nation, their fatherland or their motherland called America, which has given them so much, and they spit on it and they hate it. And they turn us into the monster and they turn the true enemy of civilization of life into a, an oppressed minority. If that's not an example of an insane mind, I'd like to know what is. And yet if you turn on Larry King, he specializes. He is a specialist in interviewing these diseased minds. We see a book coming out now. Publisher lower than O.J., says Michael Savage, a book by a man who allegedly committed two murders, held up as a book. Is this a book or is it something other than a book? These are all symptoms, though. These are not the problem. I want you to understand something. This book is not the problem. These uh, people who appear on Larry King are not the problem. They are mere symptoms of the disease, the rot of our soul. The nation's soul has been rotted out. Just as the enemies of Israel will take half the nation and destroy it and put it in captivity, so half of our nation has been taken and put into the captivity of liberalism. Don't you understand that? They are the diseased minds of our time. And we must not let that disease spread to the rest of us, particularly in these times. We must not let the diseased minds convince us that they have the right way. Everything they say is wrong. Everything I tell you is upside down. How else do you explain an idiot like Kucinich?
telling us that Iran means us no harm. When every day Iran says we will destroy every Jew, we will kill, we will destroy Israel, wipe it off the planet. Why is this guy Kucinich allowed to speak on Fox, on MSNBC, on CNN? There are Jews all over those media outlets. What kind of Jews are they? They're exactly the Jews that the Bible wrote about. Something terrible happens. Are you going to wake up and say George Bush caused all of this? Is that the liberal response? If God forbid something horrible happens in this country, something worse than 9-11, you're going to blame the Republicans, Bush, heterosexuals, white people, Christianity, Jews. Who are you going to blame? Well, you'll blame anybody but yourself. The American left doesn't even understand that it is the reason. It is the chief reason that Islam is at war with the West. And what's really amazing to me is that the people who have the most at stake in the battle against Islamism and the most to lose if Islamism wins, you, the progressives, so-called, you're the least able to fight it, the least willing to fight it. You're the ones who hate the Pentagon. You're the ones who hate the White House. You're the ones who hate the state capital, the national capital. You're the ones who hate Israel. And yet the F-16s that fly overhead are there to protect you from the Islamists who would cut your throat and throw you down a well. The very values of the West, 40 years of civil rights, gay rights, feminism, reproductive choice, that's abortion, sexual madness called freedom, the right not to worship if you don't want to worship. In other words, the Marxist left's wild dream is protected by the very elements that you hate in this country. You, the sexually unorthodox. You, the bohemian. You, the poet. You, the professor. You are protected by those F-16s. You are protected by the boys who go to church and went to church every Sunday. You are protected by the rock rib conservatives in this country who fly over your head, who are dying in Iraq for your sins. Civil rights, gay rights, privacy rights, abortion, sexual madness, the right to worship or not to worship, all protected by the boys from somewhere else who you spit at, who you sneer at, who you mock. They're the reason you're alive. And the reason they're dying is because of your sins. The verminous left, the Larry Flint left, as now adopted by the Democrat Party itself, the Larry Flint left is now the... Uh, the official party platform of the Democrat Party. I, I'm not fooling you. Everything that Larry Flint and his ilk stood for in the 60s and 70s has been adopted, if not overtly, then covertly by the Democrat Party. They have accepted this debased, destroyed West, social West. They would not only have accepted it as the norm, they welcome it. It's the Marxist dream, the death of the family, the death of heterosexuality. Everything that the left dreamed of has come to pass in this country. Hit hardest the black people. 70% of black children are born out of wedlock. The, the American left celebrate this. Celebrate this as a, as a sign of liberation. That they have been liberated from the binds of bourgeois marriage. The Muslims saying, hell no, we won't go. You're not going to pollute our children. You're not going to turn our children into uh, Jezebels. You're not going to turn our daughters into whores and our sons into homosexuals. We're not going to let you do it. 
We'll kill you before you do it. You're not going to brainwash our children. We will send them to Muslim schools. You're not going to turn our daughters into whores. We'll send them to Muslim schools. We're not going to let our daughters dress like Britney Spears. We're not going to let them behave like Paris Hilton. We don't like them. We think they're vermin. We think they're garbage. We don't care that they're held up as role models. We detest them. We hate them. We think that they're the most disgusting human beings on the planet. We'll not send our children. We won't even go to the movies. We won't turn on a television set. Incidentally, the Orthodox Jews have the very same view. So the American left, which is able to get away with these behaviors and sell these behaviors, is protected by the very, let us say, Christian right that they detest and sneer at in their F-16s, in their tanks and behind their machine guns, if you wanted to put it in that, in that crude sense. And, of course, they continue to not recognize that they have brought about Islam's rage. No, it's not Israel per se that the Muslims really care about. It's not territory. It's not land. That's what the left will tell you, that the Jews stole the land of the Muslims. That's the simple, archaic notion of the American left. It's that Israel's left-wing social premise and left-wing social freedoms that threaten Islam in the Middle East. They don't want it spreading. They don't want a homosexual parade down the streets of Damascus. They don't want a gay rights parade in Tehran. They don't want boys tongue-kissing each other in their nation's capitals. They'd rather die than let that happen. So they say death to Israel. They don't really know what Israel is. Israel is an idea. It's not that their grandfather's olive grove was taken. It's that their grandfather's purity was stolen by the infection of the West's social mores. And they don't want them in their villages. They don't want them in their homes. They don't want them on Al Jazeera. And they're not going to let you do it to them. No matter what the madmen who run these media empires may think, Islam will never tolerate the sewer pipe that comes out of New York City and the sewer pipe that comes out of Hollywood's sewer factories will never penetrate the Muslim world, nor should they. But that's what's provoking Muslim rage. It's not so much what the Pope said. It's what Larry Flint did by hijacking the Supreme Court, in my opinion. And every other left-wing civil libertarian lawyer in America who every day goes about his business of destroying the Christian mores, the Judeo-Christian mores of this country with glee. What fun they're having, the boys from NYU. The bright boys from Columbia and NYU and Harvard Law and Bolt Law School, all of the lowest places on earth where they teach you how to defeat the other man without firing a shot, without cutting his throat. You can actually cut his throat. The lawyer learns to commit jihad without firing a shot. And he learns it at NYU, Columbia Law, Harvard Law. How to commit jihad without firing a shot. How to decapitate the enemy without picking up a rusty knife. Who was it who said that give him a fountain pen instead of a gun and he can, have, he can steal more money? Well, those were the old days. Just give him a judge that he owns. And uh, not all judges, of course, can be owned. Some of them are very reputable and great men. In fact, they're greater today, the honest ones, than they ever were, given the climate of the times and the lack of money that they actually, the poor amount of money that they make. Maybe you can help me. I haven't gone to the toilet very well in the last few weeks. You know, since Thanksgiving, I have a blockage. Can you give me some? Or I'm going to get another one. And there's something natural I could use because my wife and I are no longer doing the, the funny business together. And I don't want to use that stuff that makes your vision turn blue with mild blindness. I told you one of the side effects of Viagra is temporary blindness in some men. I jokingly said that that's... Part of the effect that's desired. That's why you can still do it with someone you live with for so many years. It makes you temporarily blind. 
And that's it. You put the blinders on instead of taking them off. <laughs> Not so funny, the poor women, what they have to put up with. No wonder the men die first after they put up with us for so long. They're supposed to get it all in the end. I don't know what they do with it, frankly. I don't know if they enjoy themselves. They seem to enjoy themselves, the older women. A, their sex drivers left them. They're not bothered with that. B, they could do without men. They found out that it was all a myth to begin with. They had the children already, the grandchildren. What do they need men for at a certain point? They got some money. They can travel. They can play Pinochle. Whatever. <laughs> what do they do in the old age homes? I know I'm never going to wind up in a limited, in an assisted living or old age. Never. I know I'm never going to be there. Is it any wonder I'm slightly uh, warped when, when it comes to certain issues in the world, particularly uh, relationships of, of some kind? And it's, you can understand why. I mean, everyone has their thing. No one's perfect. I never alleged to be perfect. Let me tell you that. Oh, no. You never heard me say I'm Mr. Perfect, did you? So criticize all you want. I never said I was perfect. Maybe you think you're perfect. But I know I'm imperfect because I'm a conservative. Only liberals think that they can either that they are perfect or they can achieve perfection. Go take a look at most of their behaviors and their children. You'll see how perfect they are. No, I have figured out that if I should live long or longer, let's say, personally, I know you're not interested in this, but you, I may as well say it anyway, because it's 07, tick-tock, 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 the, tick the sands of time, the hourglasses, you know, the sand. There's more sand now down on the bottom than there was on the top. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you take the hourglass of your life, if you're a certain age, there's more sand up above in that glass than there is down below. In my case, most of the sand already has gone down to the bottom glass. Let's put it to you that way. No matter what the end result may be, most of the sand is already down in the bottom glass. I'm starting to think about certain things I would ignore up until now. I'm immortal. I'm not going to. Because people say to me even today, well, what do you want to do at the end? I said, I'm never going to die. They think I'm crazy. I won't make such plans. I will not make such plans. I'm never going to die. I'm never going to get sick and old. How do you like that? In other words, say I'm foolish. Well, all right, call it what you want. I knew kids when I lived in Hawaii, ma mainly Japanese Americans. At 19 years old, they knew who they were going to marry. They knew they were, where they were going to get married, how many children. They knew where they were going to be buried. At 19, they had it all worked out. There are societies that do that to, to this day. I don't understand that kind of living. I can't do that. I'd rather live in a sense of a, a man who's going to live to a thousand years because I remember that character out of Zorba. You remember Kazanzaki's great, great character, Zorba the Greek? I love that character. Of course, it was a distortion. As it was played by Anthony Quinn, one of the great filmic characters was uh, Zorba as played by Quinn. But do you remember the scene where he's leaning against the window and he says to the woman, a man like me should live a thousand years? What a great line that was. That's the way to go through life every day, by the way. I don't like men who at 50 say, well, at my age or I'm 50 and I should think that at 50 already I got one foot in the grave. Why think that way? Why start taking that attitude? Because you're, gonna, you're just going to speed up your own aging and die young anyway if you do that to yourself. That's all. Next case. Move it on. Oh, so I was saying, even if, let's say, I should become enfeebled by accident or by, uh, uh, by disease, I'm never going to go to an assisted living. I want to stay in the house, and I want to have care. That's all. I don't want no hospital. I don't want to be around a hospital. The other people smell. I depress you in those joints. There's no reason to be there. You get around-the-clock care if you can. That's all. I don't know if the family's going to go along with it, but that's what I'm going to do. I'll make sure that I, you know, put it away for that. What, do I want another car? I'd rather, I'd rather pay for care. I just got my Social Security form. Do you ever get one of those? I've been getting it for, like, years. It shows you what you earn going back to 1968. I couldn't believe it, how much they take from me. 
I could not believe how much they robbed from me under Medicare, like 2.5% of my gross income, to support bums, disgusting, filthy bums, while I'm still working. 2.5% of my gross is given for Medicare so illegal aliens can come here and, and, and have a, a hayow on my, on my dime? I can't believe this government. It's thievery. Why am I paying 2.5% of my gross for Medicare so that a bunch of bums can take advantage of my work? Why am I working? I ask myself. 2.5% of my gross income goes to support bums, third worlders that don't belong here. They have a better medical system than my father ever had, and he worked here all of his life. All they got to do is swim across the Rio Grande and bingo. Gringo, they got a gold-plated, uh, bingo, they got a gold cl- a gold-plated medical care because of the gringo. I can't take it. But go look at the elite's face, the phony masks. You'll see what, what, what trouble we're in. All you got to do is take a look at their, their faces. And you'll understand what trouble we're in when you take a look at that, 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 that group there. Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe you don't think this way. Many of you are just, uh, you know, you figure they're all noble because they're government workers. I don't understand you. I just don't understand you. How you could think that? If you believe that Bush has not seen video of the execution then you must believe in Santa Claus. Why is it that this last generation has become a generation of sluts and uh, empty men who are incapable of raising a family, who are much like girlfriends with a male appendage attached to their body? Uh, Have the girls descended so far down the uh, scale of social evolution that they think God put them on the planet simply to have an orgasm and to get drunk and puke on themselves in a nightclub at 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh, Who is responsible for this, uh, this disgusting... Uh, imagery that we are uh, paraded that is paraded before us on a daily basis these celebrity sluts like paris hilton who we all detest uh, anyone who does not detest her is a psychotic how could you not detest these people it's impossible not to detest what they stand for they stand for the vapidity of our times they stand for the death of the west they stand for the decadence that most sane people do, do not want to engage in If you uh, check out the connections between this and the media, you'll find out that there's a reason that Western women do not want to have children and that Western boys have become much, much like girls with a male appendage, sort of like a pocketbook with short hair for the girls to drag around and show off for a while until they dismiss them and get another uh, uh, human satisfier toy called a man. The men will not have children. They don't even understand that. It is the mark of a man to get married and have children. The women don't want to have children uh, because it might spoil their bods. And after all, isn't it all about their bods and their abs and their butt and their lats? Isn't that what the girls want, are good butts and good abs and good lats? How is it the entire West, in essence, is engaging in a dance of death? How did that happen? I'll let you put two and two together. But I have to take my hat off to the Pope. The Pope is the intellectual, uh, the, the religious intellectual leader, leader of the West. There are no Jewish leaders, I am sorry to tell you, speaking out as clearly and as succinctly as the Pope does on so many issues. And I want to read you what the Pope said. And if you have a problem with what I'm reading to you, why don't you send it to the Vatican, not to me? Pope Benedict XVI said the church has a duty to speak out on moral issues that affect the very spiritual and physical lives of man. Now, Most Americans know this, but I'll read you what the Pope said. I'm quoting now, quote, in seeking to emancipate himself from his body, man ends up by destroying himself, close quote, 
the Pope told cardinals, archbishops, bishops, and members of the Roman Curia last week in a meeting overlooked by most of the world's press. The Pope also lamented low birth rates in Europe, saying couples no longer seem to want children. This fact, said the Pope, has penetrated my soul. He continued. He said men and women today are unsure about the future. This fact, alongside the desire to have all of life to themselves, is perhaps the most profound reason for which the risk of having children appears to many as almost unbearable. If we do not relearn the basic foundations of life, if we do not rediscover the certainty of faith, it will also be ever more difficult for us to give others the gift of life and the challenges of an unknown future. God bless Pope Benedict XVI for speaking out on the seminal issue of our time. There is a direct correlation between the media, the mafia that controls virtually everything that you read, everything that you see, everything that you hear, everything that you wear, and the behavior of our boys and girls and the fact that they will not have children and they simply want to potty until 3 a.m. and spend the money on designer items so they look good and they have good abs and good butts and good lats and good delts. After all, isn't a good ab better than a good son? Isn't a good butt better than a good daughter? I'll let you figure out how we have descended to the level below that of the apes lower than the chimpanzee my friend all a result of the demons who rule the media michael savage a host like no other am i the only person in america who roots for the bulls i mean when i saw the bulls running in pamplona and the drunks were thrown in the street and gored i actually cheered for the bull i i'm sorry that was my gut reaction I wanted the bull to have one more dance in the sun before he was slaughtered by those cowardly Spaniards. I think that bullfighting is about the most cowardly sport, if you want to call it that, known to mankind, where a, uh, a, a feminine man in a pair of uh, overly tight trousers stands there and tortures an animal until, until the animal is brought to its knees and dies. I don't understand the people. I don't understand the Spanish people, their obsession with it. It's nauseating. It should be outlawed bullfighting. So as I say, I rooted for the bulls at Pamplona. The drunks want to run with the bulls, and they've got to be, you know, prepared to be gored. Guy once said to me when I was a youngster in the West Village, I remember I was just trying out the bohemian lifestyle, hanging around with the idiots. You know, I thought, they said they were a writer, they must be a writer. They said they were a poet, they must be a poet. They said they were a composer, they must be a composer. It didn't mean they were. They were trying on those labels, so... I would go to the various bars in the West Village. I must have been 17, 18. I don't know how old. One of them had, I don't know, sawdust on the floor. I don't know the name of the place. It was a little narrow place that served near a Spanish, uh, served good paella. I don't know. A lot of the Bohemian bums drank in there, so I thought it was cool. So once there was a sort of uptown woman sitting there with her uptown husband, middle-aged. They must have been 35 at the time. They looked old. They were the old people in there. And she was sitting on a chair out in the uh, sort of aisleway. And one of the drunks did a cartwheel. You know, in those days, there was a uh, nobility to being drunk, although, although it, was, uh, excuse me, it was alleged to be noble to be a big, stupid writing drunk. You see, the pains of the world are so great to the writer that he must e e envelop himself, he must drown himself in, in liquor 
after writing so hard all day about the problems of the world. So that's where it comes from, is the, is the drunk writer. You know, it was a big thing in the 30s and the 40s, the 50s. Then it ended really in the late 60s when they became junk, uh, junkies and uh, sexual deviants. So anyway, but in those days, I'm down in that bar in the village, and this bohemian so-called writer, but really just a drunk who scribbled, does a cartwheel, knocks into the woman, knocks her on the, her, her behind, and her skirt goes up, and she's laying in the sawdust, shocked. And the drunk leans down to her and bows, and he's, you know, that's what they did it. They were overly, uh, and bows to her, and he says, Madam, if you want to swim with the fishes, you've got to get wet. I thought it was so neat. I thought it was the smartest thing I ever heard. It was so different. Then, hey, Michael, get down in the basement and clean the bronzes. Hey, Michael, get out and shovel the driveway. Take the damn dog for a walk. You'll amount to nothing in this world. You're a bum. So when I saw an alcoholic who could you know, lean over and give such a courtly statement to a woman who just knocked off a chair, wow, I thought I was, I was living in, you know, the world of the literary genius. How did I know he was just a drunk who had a gift of gab? The husband should have picked up a chair and banged the drunk in the head with it. Instead, he sat there with that um, S-eating grin uh, that um, up, up, uptown New Yorkers are known for. So, now, what, what, what's the point I'm making? I have no idea. I forgot the story already. Oh, the bull. I'm sorry. So, it's the same story applies to Pamplona. If you're going to run with the bulls, then you've got to be prepared to be gored. And I have no sympathy for you if you are. Period. End of story. Sacramento. Jane, you're on the Savage Nation. I have been rooting for the bull for 45 years, Michael. <laughs> a like-minded fellow spirit. I'm here to tell you, what a barbaric sport. I only watched the running of the bulls in Papaloma once on TV. They wet the streets in those cobblestone streets. They, they have them in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, too. They're very slippery when they're wet. And those big animals trying to run down those streets that have become a little flopper jawed over the centuries, and they're losing their balance. And like you say, the dignity of that animal being so assaulted. Yeah, it's, it, it breaks my heart to see a dignified animal. You know, there's one thing to eat an animal that has slaughtered you mainly. It's quite another thing to torture an animal. I, just, I, I mean, they don't even stand a chance. Man never approaches an animal. So when you saw the TV footage of the, of the drunks being gored, what did you feel? They deserved it. <laughs> yes. Pete, you're on the Savage Nation. Hi. Um, enjoy your show. I want to say that I also uh, agree that anybody who tortures a, a, an innocent animal uh, deserves at least what they get and probably more. Uh, I, I so don't... when you, so you, truthfully, I mean, we don't have to make a big thing of it, but when you saw the footage of them getting gored, you didn't feel bad for the person. You, you were cheering the bull. Absolutely. Because they were torturing the poor animal. What do they expect? They think it's a movie. They watch the movies of the Hemingway story with uh, Cary Grant, and they think that they're going to run down the street in white pants and that they're not going to get a stain on the pants. Then they're going to sit and drink sangria all night under a tree somewhere and go trout fishing the next day. There's garbage running with the bulls. First of all, it should be outlawed. It's, uh, it's absurd. The Spanish were the most capitulating people in Europe today. Uh, you know, or they can only, what, take it out only on bulls? Why don't they take it out on the uh, invaders? Take it out on the Moors who invaded them all over again. Why don't they fight the Moors the way they fight the bulls? Because the Moors will kill them. The, boar, the bull can't fight back. Ole, ole, cheering like that. They got what they deserve for torturing the bull. I don't know what I want to do. I caught a sunburn yesterday. I feel like I'm uh, 
like I, I laid on the beach at Coney Island. and I, I stay out of the sun because I had the skin cancer removed about eight times already. In the temple area from the early years, from uh, in the sun when my mother thought getting color was good for me. Go, go, go in the sun, get color. I would come back like a lobster. Good, good, you look good. They were laying down a cancer in the skin. How did they know? They didn't mean anything by it. They didn't know. They didn't have a knowledge of it then. The same with the food. You know, the heavy food in the morning, eggs and steak for dinner and meatloaf for lunch. Did they really know they were killing their son? They wouldn't have done it, I don't think. Do you think maybe they were doing it on purpose to get rid of the males? Sometimes I think that that generation of women was like a, like as a female cult. They got married only to have a daughter, the son they could have done without, and the husband. Then the Viagra came along. Thank God many of them passed away before that. Could you imagine that? That the man loses the ability just at the right point when the woman doesn't really want him anymore to do that. Now all of a sudden, bing, they got Viagra going around. A guy could be any age. Suddenly he's like he's got a glint in his eye and he's stalking her all over the house. And she don't want nothing to do with the guy. It's like a curse for a middle-aged woman. You know, you think every woman wants to do this? They don't. Most of them leave it behind them at a certain point. But uh, in those days, the women gave it up after like the second child. They had sex twice. Two children, that was it. God didn't want them to enjoy themselves because they never did enjoy it. Would you have enjoyed it either if your husband was like a, like a furrier and weighed 350 pounds and looked like Gerald Nadler? You know, and that, 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 was, that was set up. <laughs> Most of you don't know who Gerald Nadler is. You got to leave him alone. He lost a lot of weight. Now, I'm not making any allegations at all, but, you know, I saw something shocking. In his heyday, Gerald Nadler, the heavy set guy, that's how we used to say fat in my day, heavy set. Or night, they used to say he's light on his feet. That meant for a fat guy, he didn't collapse altogether when he danced. But Gerald Nadler used to be really a hefty, heavy guy. Then all of a sudden, he went on some diet. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.